All right, back on the Young Turks. Got a couple of great guests for you guys. My next guest after this one is going to be Wendell Potter. He is one of the biggest defenders of Medicare for all, Medicare for all, and he has a group to do that. We'll talk to him next. Joining me now is Christina Sinsun Ramirez. She is running for the Senate in Texas. A lot of folks are very excited about her. Christina, welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for being on. All right, so. Christina, let's start with this. There are 12 Democrats in this race, in the primary to, to go after John Cornyn, or as he did in one of his goofy ads, Big John. John. <laughs> okay, so why you over the other 12 Democrats? Well, we're having a competitive primary in Texas. It's a demo, it's a candidate rich race. But of the people running, I am one of the few progressives. I'm one of the top contenders in this race. I've been endorsed by the working families parties. The Working Families Party, some of the, our state's largest labor unions, and I've spent over 15 years leading and building some of our state's largest voting rights and civil rights organizations. It's highly likely that Texas will go blue in 2020, and we want to make sure that it goes blue with a real progressive, someone that believes in the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, that knows how critical it is that we cancel student debt for millions of Americans, um, that these are the ways that we build a strong economy and country. And as a state with 29 million, the second largest economy in the country, flipping Texas is more than just the Senate seat. It's about how we're going to rebuild the Democratic Party in a state like Texas and what that means for the rest of the progressive movement, not just in my state, but across the United States. So out of the 12, uh, there are some that we've got no interest in that are, are corporate Democrats as usual, etc. And it's, I think, enormously important to, to beat them. Uh, not just because we want a progressive to win, but because I think a progressive has a better chance of winning the general election. Um, and so, but among the progressives in the race, uh, you've been backed by some of the folks that you mentioned there, and that you said it's because of your background. So, what what was in your background? So, for example, what's the Workers Defense Project? Yeah, so two of the organizations I led, one was the Workers Defense Project. Here in Texas, the largest employer of immigrant and undocumented labor is the construction industry. And when I was just 24 years old, which was 14 years ago, I formed this organization to take on that industry that is also one of the largest contributors to the Republican Party here in our state and was able to pass laws at the local and state level that raised wages, made jobs safer, got union and non-union workers to work together and have led to some of the most important groundbreaking legislation in our state to protect working people in a really tough political climate for workers um, like Texas, it's a right to work state. And then um, at my last organization, I found an organization the week after the 2016 election, once I stopped crying and got out of bed and I was six months pregnant at the time and I decided, one of the best ways to fight back against the Trump administration was to use the power of young voters of color to exercise their power at the um, voting booth. So JOLT, an organization I formed, was focused on mobilizing young Latino voters. I named it JOLT because I knew if young Latinos came out and voted that they could be a shock to the political system, not just of Texas, but the entire country. And it's become one of the most important political forces for progressives in the entire state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So, um, what were you doing before the Workers Defense Project? Um, I was 24 when I was there, so before that, I was a cocktail waitress and um, working odd jobs um, to 
and but I was always doing organizing and activism since I was 17 years old, um, really working on issues from whether that was fighting against what then was um, going to become the free trade area of the Americas and taking on institutions like the World Trade Organization to then fighting for immigrant and workers' rights. And then most recently also tackling issues like student debt and climate change. I am a lifelong progressive and someone that believes that government works best when ordinary people and grassroots organizations and movement organizations are at the front lines of doing that. And that, you know, there are thousands of progressive candidates now running across the country, especially inspired by people like Bernie Sanders that have run. I'm one of those people. For a long time, I thought maybe someone like me couldn't win, someone that was too progressive or couldn't run. And I see that in this country that the ideas that we stand for as progressives, that they're incredibly popular, especially here in Texas, where we have a long tradition of economic populism, a distrust of large-scale corporations and big banks, and that if you speak to that, you can actually move a state as large as Texas. By the way, the website is ChristinaForTexas.com. Christina, one more thing about that. I'm just curious because you're 24 years old and you co-founded Workers Defense Project. So at the age of 24, what inspired you to co-found that group? So originally, I, uh, my mom's the oldest of nine kids from Mexico. Um, my dad's a white American hippie that went to UT Austin. And I got to see that my white and Mexican families had very different rules, that there were very different opportunities for different people and that it wasn't based on merit, it wasn't based on how hard you worked. And so originally I just wanted to help out immigrant workers and I saw translating at legal clinics that there were hundreds and what later became thousands of workers that weren't being paid, that were being injured on the job, that were being mistreated and exploited because people felt that they could do that to them because of their immigration status. And we made a lot of success helping one worker at a time navigate the legal system. But I knew that if we were gonna make real change, we needed to change the rules that allowed for people to treat workers like that in the first place. And that we needed to advance the rights of working people beyond just what the law was willing to give them and change the laws and the rules and the system to actually make deep systemic change for working people. So you know, if I win and when I win this Senate race, I will have learned how to move power and organize from some of our state's most humble, people and those seen as the least powerless. So has the Democratic Party weighed in at all in this race yet? I mean, theoretically, they're not supposed to, but let's laugh along with that. Uh, I, but I really don't know the dynamics of that. Yeah, so here in Texas, um, we got within 2.6 percentage points of flipping Texas in 2018. We're an incredibly diverse state. There is a diverse field of candidates in this race. Unfortunately, the Democratic Senate Committee decided to try and tell Texas voters who our candidate should be really? instead of leaving that up to us. And they endorsed another woman, MJ Hager. Um, who is much more moderate, was a Republican up until 2016. Okay. Um, but even with that endorsement, um, it's still showing that there, that I'm one of the top contenders in this race, that there will be a runoff. A recent poll by Data for Progress showed that there will be a runoff in this race, and that in that runoff, um, I will actually defeat her. Okay, uh, Chuck Schumer picking the wrong person and, and someone who was a Republican until a couple of years ago. That would never happen. So uh, it stretches credulity uh, for that uh, to happen, Christina. Okay, uh, so first of all, if Chuck Schumer is not backing you, then we know uh, you're certainly among the right candidates. Um, so uh, now let's talk about uh, the general election. So Texas has been red for a long time. It's certainly moving blue. 
Uh, you got Cornyn there, uh, he's the number two uh, Republican in the Senate. Uh, how do you beat him? So I believe we beat him in a state as big and diverse as Texas by building the largest diverse coalition of uh, voters that we've seen in any state. Um, one of the reasons I'm running and best position to defeat someone like John Cornyn is because of who the state is, that one in three eligible voters is Latino, that we have one of the youngest electorates in the country. <clears throat> and so I'm gonna be reaching out to black, brown and white voters, um, young and old voters and building the largest coalition that Texas has ever seen. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, that happens to me all the time on air, so don't sweat that. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're gonna build the diverse coalition, but let's talk about uh, how you're organizing. Um, so uh, I, I know that's very important for a lot of progressive candidates. Uh, what's your strategy around that? So here in Texas, 75% of the population lives in four major metro areas. I'm gonna be crisscrossing the entire state. Right now I'm calling you from Corpus Christi, tomorrow I'm in Laredo, and then the day after that I'm in Houston. But I also am speaking to the diverse needs of Texas. You know, We're a state that believes that we can dream big because we are big, that we can be at the forefront of taking on the major issues that our country faces from climate change to healthcare to immigration, that we can lead on these issues and have someone like me that does that. And as someone that also has led some of our state's best efforts to get out young voters and voters of color. I'm gonna be tapping into that same um, experience and our team reflects the diversity of who Texas is. Many campaigns in Texas that have run statewide don't actually look like who our state is, doesn't, don't know what we're up against, don't know what Texans face. And we, I've built a team that looks like who we are so that we are best positioned to defeat John Cornyn. Yeah, no, I know a lot of progressives are excited about you uh, for sure. So then let's talk about strategy finally against Gordon. And, uh, so I'm sure that the Democratic Senate Committee will tell you, oh my God, don't actually be a Democrat, pretend you're a Republican. Um, so, but you said you're for Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and all of these progressive uh, policies. So, what's your take on how to defeat Cornyn from a progressive perspective? <laughs> Look. You know, Texas, I think, is best reflective of the two ways that Democrats um, have tried to run in this country. And tw for 20 years, Democrats in Texas were told to run as Republican-like candidates um, to swing white Republican voters. And there are some of those voters that you can swing, but the truth is that in Texas, we are majority people of color. We are a young state, and I believe we're actually a really progressive state. That you win by inspiring people with real policy that will change their lives. And building this diverse coalition, and then building a base of small dollar donors. Here in Texas, it will probably cost $50 million to defeat someone like John Cornyn. And Republicans know that if they lose Texas in 2020, that it's not just gonna change the political outcome and possibilities of my state for an election cycle, but that it could change the political outcome and possibility for the entire country for a generation. So every dirty trick that we saw played in Georgia, where I believe Stacey Abrams is the governor of Georgia because she won that race, I think will be just the tip of the iceberg of what we see play out here in Texas. And I'm used to being underestimated. And in this race, I think it will be no different. But you can ask any construction company or politician that ever had to go up against me if they regretted underestimating me and the people that I represent. And the last thing I'll say is that I believe progressive ideals are extremely popular 
ideals like Medicare for all, ideals like legalizing marijuana, making education tuition free K through college um, or vocational school that I find as I travel across Texas, that those ideas and issues appeal to all kinds of voters. And that what they're looking for is real dramatic change in their lives and someone that understands that kind of change that they need. All right, website's christinafortexas.com, that's uh, with a C. Uh, and that's the links to donate and volunteer and they'll be down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook, you can just click on them. Important to help progressives win elections, uh, makes all the difference, that's what's gonna affect your lives. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it and good luck on the race. Thanks so much, take care. You too. All right, guys, check out all the candidates in that race, it's a fascinating one. When we come back, Wendell Potter fighting for Medicare for all. Let's get the real facts about Medicare for all when we return. All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now is Wendell Potter, he's the president of Medicare for all now. He's also someone the Time Magazine called the ideal whistleblower when he worked for Cigna in the healthcare industry. And Michael Moore called him the Daniel Ellsberg of corporate America. Uh, Wendell, welcome back to the Young Turks. Thanks, thanks, bro. Jake, how are you? How are you tonight? Great, great. I want to talk about uh, Medicare for all those who want it. I want to talk about Obamacare. I want to talk about what the health insurance industry does. But real quick, what is Medicare for all now? Medicare for all now is a nonprofit organization that makes the case for moving to a Medicare for all type system, in which we have guaranteed health care, in which we're not dependent on our employers to provide to provide our health care for us. Uh, we know that we need to move to that system. I used to work for the health insurance industry for 20 years. I know all their tricks. I know what they try to do to perpetuate their, th- this system to protect profits. And we need to eliminate the private health insurance system in this country to move to a system like we've had in this country for 50 years for people who are 65 years old or older, people who are disabled. It's a system that works and it's much more efficient than the current system and will save this country a lot of money and give everyone guaranteed health care. So uh, I had somebody ask me over the weekend, well, Buttigieg says Medicare for all for those who want it. I mean, that sounds like a choice that who would be against the choice? How do you answer that, Wendell? Well, the choice that we really care about is choice of healthcare providers. And I use that term because when we refer to providers, we mean healthcare in healthcare doctors and hospitals. What has happened over recent years is because we've had health insurance companies running our healthcare system, they've eliminated the choice that we care about. We can no longer count on our doctors being in the networks that our health insurance say that we have access to or the hospitals either. So what we're talking about when we when they when he refers to the word choice, he and the insurance industry are trying to make us believe that we currently have choice. We don't have choice. Uh, most of us who have private health insurance get it through, the, through our employers, and our employers are the ones who make that those decisions as to who we you know what insurance companies we have access to, and they and the insurance companies decide which doctors and hospitals we can use. So the use, you know, I wrote a New York Times op-ed about that last month to explain why that is obscuring the reality of the current world. We don't have choice. And what Buttigieg and others are, are, are advocating is just a continuation of the, of the system in which we have seen the insurance companies betwe- come between us and our doctors. So, um- Medicare for all and Medicare for all for those who wanted, they're two totally different systems, right? They are. So tell us the differences. 
Well, the difference is for those who want it, 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 it keeps in place the current system that is so dysfunctional. The, the reason why we are having this debate in the first place, uh, we saw in 2018 that the top issue among Democrats was health care. And the reason for that is because even though the Affordable Care Act did some, some very important and good things, it uh, prohibits insurance companies from uh, refusing to sell us coverage because of pre-existing conditions, it doesn't go far enough. It is a Band-Aid on a system that is broken and that we need to, dis- that we need to replace. Uh, the reality is if you keep the insurance companies in place, you have uh, a very inefficient system. We spend about $3.5 trillion on healthcare in this country. A third of that is wasted on administration because we have insurance companies calling the shots. We need to replace that. We need to move to a system in which every one of us is guaranteed that we will have the care that we need. In the current system, if you have employer-based health care, you are at the mercy of your employers. Uh, And that is the system that Pete Buttigieg wants to continue. We are all one layoff. If you have have employer-based coverage, as most of us do, you're one layoff away from losing your insurance and losing uh, your access to health care. So we need to move away from that system to a system that people who are 65 years and older currently have and have had for 50 years of knowing that cannot be taken away from them. So it makes it sound like, well, if I want Medicare, which is free, uh, you know that we paid into it through the payroll tax, et cetera. But, but if I want uh, Medicare I could for free, I could just get it because I have a choice of getting it. But wouldn't that just be Medicare for all because then if you get it for free, then the insurance companies wouldn't exist because who would buy insurance that they could get for free? Well, we don't wanna have insurance companies in the next period. Uh, I know from my 20 years inside the insurance industry that uh, their main objective is to make money. So know that going into this. But if you have a system in which people can have the choice, if you say uh, choice of of having a health insurance uh, company provide access to care or having guaranteed health care through the Medicare program, it's very, very different. Uh, One thing to keep in mind is that under the current system, even if you have insurance, you are very likely going to be finding yourself having to go to GoFundMe to beg for care because of high deductibles and because of limited networks. And people are, uh, even in this country, having to go to bankruptcy court because of being unable to pay for their medical care. When you're talking about Medicare for all or Medicare for some, it's a huge difference because with Medicare for all, you are making sure that everyone has guaranteed access to care that they need, reducing costs in a way that uh, Medicare for some never can do. So when when I talk about how uh, corporations want to make a profit and actually have to make a profit by law, uh, sometimes I'm charged in the media with being conspiratorial. Uh, for example, Bloomberg has pumped in a giant amount of money into TV companies. Drug companies make uh, pump in a lot of money to TV companies, and I say that might affect their coverage. And they say, "Oh my God, you're crazy! Companies would never want to maximize profit." Um, <laughs> they say with a straight face. Um, so, but in the healthcare industry, the health insurance companies also need to maximize profit. So, what were some of the ways? that they maximize profit? Various ways. One is through something called prior authorization. That's a term that means that they have the ability to determine whether or not you'll get the care that your doctor says you need. It happens every day. And in fact, Jake, is one of the reasons I left, one of the main reasons I left my 
my job in the insurance industry. I finally left after handling just one too many instances in which someone has been denied care that their policy said they, they, that, that, that would be covered. You hear a lot of, a lot of talk about Cadillac planes, for example. Uh, there was a young woman in California who's, who literally was in a, a Mercedes plan, but a, a, a medical director at Cigna said he didn't think that a transplant that her doctor said she needed would be cut, would, would, the Cigna would pay for it. And so she didn't get that transplant and she died. That happens day in and day out. And I just want to make sure that people understand what the reality is of a system that is run by health insurance companies. That's one way that they maximize profit. Another is to limit your choice of healthcare providers. Uh, increasingly, we have fewer and fewer doctors and, and, and hospitals that are available to us because of the increase in you know, the, the, the practice of insurance companies of moving us into limited networks. And they also make us pay more out of our own pockets uh, uh, through high deductibles than, than we used to pay. So we, and in fact, uh, more and more of us are underinsured. And most of us, in fact, who have coverage through the Obamacare exchanges are underinsured, at least 40%, maybe not most, but 40% of us who have coverage through the Obamacare exchanges are underinsured. That means that our deductibles are so high that we can't even use our policies. That's what we've got to get away from. So... Um when you're trying to maximize profit, you have to charge as much as possible, so hence the rising cost of healthcare costs, and pay right. out as little as possible, hence exactly. lower costs, in this case, is less healthcare. You know, uh, when you are denied coverage, so for example, we had a Just Democrat, wonderful progressive candidate, James Thompson uh, from Kansas. He unfortunately now uh, not running and he's got cancer. and. Uh, and he's got a great doctor in Denver who will do surgery on it, and it's late stage cancer. But they said, no, it's out of network, and so you're yeah. not allowed. In situations like that, where sometimes they literally give you a death sentence, yes. they say, well, look, there's nothing we could do. This is, we're going by the guidebook, and the guidebook says this, etc. I always wondered, no, is that someone's job to? individually deny these things so and then they get judged based on how much they denied and hence how much money they made for the company? Jake, you're exactly right. You don't have to have a memo from executive management that says you have to you have to deny so many transplants or so many procedures or so many treatments during a given period of time, but you know that you have to help that company, your company, meet profit expectations. And I know this from handling financial uh, communications for a big insurance company for 10 years, what matters is meeting Wall Street's profit expectations. And yes, you will have people and you do have people every day in insurance companies who uh, will second guess what doctors say that you need. They will say, no, we don't think that's medically necessary, medically appropriate for you. And those, frankly, are death panels within insurance companies. I've said that before, it's a harsh term. But it's the reality of our healthcare system. You have people who work for insurance companies who know that as part of your job, you have to make, you have to help your company make those profit expectations. And, and there's pressure on you to make those decisions. So people are denied the care that they need, life-saving care every single day. Uh, you, you rarely hear about them. Occasionally you will hear about these stories, but more often than not, they never rise to, never get to the media's attention. It happens every single day. 
So Wendell, final thing, I give you a layup on this one. Uh, you know, I hear on mainstream media all the time. Uh, you know, uh, Medicare for all is going to take away your insurance. Um, in fact, culinary workers in Las Vegas right now or Nevada are spreading that rumor against Bernie Sanders. Oh my God, you're going to lose your insurance. So, what actually happens under Medicare for all? Well, you will have guaranteed health care. Those those workers in Las Vegas and anywhere else, uh, even those who are in union union plans or plans where they have uh, union support to help them get the benefits that they, that they need, they need to understand that they are all, again, one layoff away from being uninsured and unemployed. And they also need to know that they are also susceptible to just what I was talking about. People in insurance companies, if people they'll never meet, will be making decisions as to whether or not they will get the coverage that, they, that they, the doctors say that they need. They just don't realize how vulnerable they are in a system that we have now, how how susceptible they are to their employers making the choices for us and how you know we can lose our jobs for a layoff or a, a factory closing or a disability and uh, and then and have to turn to GoFundMe or bankruptcy court. It's not the way that we need to uh, to have healthcare in this country. And people in Las Vegas and elsewhere need to understand that just because your your union has negotiated what you think is a good plan, you don't have a guarantee that that's going to be there for you tomorrow. Uh, and by the way, you would have that plan reduce, uh, replaced by insurance that is better. That even opponents like Michael Bennett, Senator Bennett, said is to use your term. He said the Cadillac plan expanded exactly. Coverage. So if you that is exactly what we're talking about. It's a Cadillac plan for everybody not just those who are fortunate to have a union that negotiates for them. And here's the other thing too, if you're negotiating for a good health plan, uh, what's that doing, what what does it mean for your wages? Your employer is sending more and more money to an insurance company and you're not getting the money in your paycheck in terms and wages and and, uh, bonuses. Exactly right, you could actually have higher wages. All right, website is medicareforallnow.org, medicareforallnow.org. Uh, Wendell Potter, a bit of an American hero. Thank you for joining us, really appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. All right, when we come back, uh, last half hour of the Young Turks, uh, just for members, John Iderola joins me again uh, in order to get that, tyt.com slash join, or if you're watching live on YouTube, or actually not even live, uh, you could hit that join button right underneath uh, the video, and it's got several different layers. The 499 layer gets you uh, the last half hour, that's called the post game. Uh, anytime you want and live. If you go 999, you get all of our uh, behind the scenes coverage and all of our videos. All right, we'll be right back for the members.